Proverbs 5. We'll be reading 1 through 14. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen well to my words of insight, that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to her way of life. Her paths are crooked, but she knows it not. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your best strength to others and your years to one who is cruel, lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich another man's house. At the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. You will say, how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or listen to my instructors. I have come to the brink of utter ruin in the midst of the whole assembly. Thank you for reading the scripture, David. And at this time, the children may be dismissed to children's church and preschool play and worship. And I invite you to to join me in Proverbs chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. Before we begin our study in this passage of scripture, I think we should have some time of prayer together. Um, Time for each of us as individuals to turn toward the the Lord in humility and uh, ask him to speak to us. And also a time to give over any burdens, any distractions that we've carried in here that might hinder our ability to listen and to pay attention. So would you bow with me? Father, may we accept your invitation to be attentive to your wisdom and to incline our ears to your understanding. There's a great deal going on in many of our lives. There's many people that we care about that are suffering and there's many sins in our lives that we're wrestling with and worries that we're contending with You know all these things. Help us now before we devote our attention to this passage together. Help us to lay these burdens at your feet and to set these distractions aside. Please, through the power of your Holy Spirit, reveal these things to our minds now as we pray. And enable us to let them go and give them over to you. Please enable me to serve your people well. And clear the way for your word to sink down into our minds and our hearts. Let there not be a person here who feels that this is irrelevant to them. Lord, if we are to be a wise people like you would have us to be and walk in the newness of life that you secured for us through Jesus Christ, we need the truth that we're about to see today. And So we come to you humbly and Empty to be filled, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. So today we are working our way through Proverbs, studying wisdom for a new year. 
letting God set the agenda as many people are thinking about New Year's resolutions and trying to wise up and how they live their lives. Letting God set the agenda and the tone and, and present to us the areas in our lives that maybe we do need to be more resolved and that we do need to think more biblically. And today we come to Proverbs chapter 5, which is about sexual temptation. And I don't believe I've ever preached a sermon focused purely on this topic of sexual temptation. It's come up, you know, thousands of times as I've preached through the word. But here we find ourselves in really three straight chapters devoted to it. Uh, That takes a break, but really five, six, and seven in Proverbs is all about this. And it uses the language of adultery, but uh, I think it has a broader application than just that. So you might think, you know, a topic like this, sexual temptation, some of us may be tempted to think that that's uh, not relevant to us, that, you know, maybe we've moved beyond our adolescence and our, you know, hormonal stage and that we're past that. But I guarantee that this is applicable to all of us. So from grandmothers and grandfathers who have families to pray for and to instruct, to married couples who have marriages to protect, to singles who live in, as we all do, a world hypercharged sexually, where every advertisement comes packaged in sexually provocative imagery and language, where you can't go check out at Food Lion without being flanked by it, and you can't watch TV with your children in the room because of it. Uh, we live in a highly sexualized culture. So sexual temptation is all around us all the time. Now this passage is going to be speaking specifically, the direct application is to young men. He starts it off by saying, my son, in verse 1. Okay, But if you're not a young man, this still applies to you. Now, if you are a young man, it especially applies to you because young men are especially vulnerable to this, but it applies to all of us. So this is going to be interesting because any other time that I have taken up a topic of a sin, I've taken it up directly in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ and in regard to the morality of it. So we're today talking about sexual temptation. Sexual sin is wrong morally and according to God's laws. Okay, it is sin. But today we're looking at it through the lens of wisdom in Proverbs. So we're not going to be talking about it in terms of how right or wrong it is. We're going to be talking about it in terms of how foolish it is. So if you were here last week, you remember wisdom is not the same thing as morality or righteousness. Okay, morality is about what's right. Wisdom is about knowing and doing what's best. Okay, so yes, all sin, it falls under the umbrella of foolishness, but there is some foolishness or folly that isn't sin. For example, next week we'll be talking about obligation. So if you overcommit yourself and make foolish decisions and and make your life stressful due to overcommitment, that's not necessarily sin, but it is folly. It is foolishness. Okay, now sexual temptation falls under both. Uh, Not temptation, but sexual sin falls under both. It's sin and folly. And today we're going to talk about it as folly, okay? But I, I don't want to stray too far from the gospel, lest any of you who are in the throes of sexual sin feel utterly condemned and hopeless, because we have really good news in regard to all of our sins. God loved us so much, even though we were sinners, that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. 
so that we wouldn't perish, so that we wouldn't be condemned and damned for our sin, but so that we could be forgiven and cleansed and adopted and made new and plucked up out of that garbage we created for ourselves with our sin and put on solid ground so that we could walk in newness of life. So you who have in your history, in your background, sexual sin, whatever it might be, Okay, here he's speaking directly in reference to adultery, which is um, it's sexual relations with someone not your spouse while you're married. But it also has in view what the Bible calls fornication. I know it's an old school church word, but that's sexual relations with someone not your spouse while you're not yet married. It also has in view um, the lust of the eyes. So it would have in view um, lusting after real people physically. It has in view also pornography. It really covers, the principles we're going to look at covers all sexual temptation and sin. And if you have this in your background, I want you to know firmly and clearly that Jesus' payment on the cross covers that. You are forgiven if you are in Christ. Okay, no matter how severe it was or is, you can be forgiven in Jesus Christ. And that sin can be removed from you as far as the east is from the west. But it's not only sin, it's also folly. And folly's consequences are not immediately removed as far as the east is from the west. The consequences of folly linger and continue. Okay, so I just want to make sure we're on the right footing in terms of the gospel and wisdom before we get started. So I did did my best. If you're not with me, I'm sorry. We can talk after the service. Um, So David read our passage for us. There's so much that could be said from these three chapters. I really wanted to preach all three, but it just became too big. So I scaled back to just these first 14 verses, and we'll come back later and move forward some of the rest of it. But we're just going to look at verses 1 through 14. I have three principles that I pulled out for you and three practices. That's a lot of what you get out of the book of Proverbs is principles and practices. These are wise, these are principles that wise people know to be generally true. They're not the same as promises. It's not saying every time this, always this. It's saying generally in the way God created things to be, if this happens, then this happens. Those are principles. And then practices are how wise people live in light of the principles. Okay, we ready? That was a lot of preamble. But I want to make sure we're thinking along the same lines. So the first principle I want to pull out for us in regard to wisdom and sexual temptation, it comes from verses 1 through 4, and that is that it starts with the ear. The most important body part in regard to sexual temptation is the ear. That's where things start. So look in your Bibles. It's not going to be on the screen. I'd like for you to look in your your Bible to see what we're reading from Proverbs chapter 5. Verses 1 through 4. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion and guard your lips. I'm sorry, that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. So in regard to sexual temptation, we will listen to either 
God's wisdom or the lies of the temptress. Okay, it's going to be one or the other. We will either remember what we know to be true by God's word or we will remember and only believe what is false and proclaimed by the sexual temptation itself. Okay, so two different voices come into our lives. One is the voice of wisdom. When you're listening to the voice of wisdom, you have to take initiative to be attentive and to incline your ear. Okay, I I looked up the original language about being attentive and inclining your ear. And there are two different ways of saying the same thing. He's in essence repeating himself. To be attentive actually means to incline your ear. To incline your ear means really incline your ear, like stretch out, like stretch your ear over to hear it. Okay, the first thing that came to me as I thought about how to illustrate this was Scott Gregg. I always like to do this abruptly so people don't see it coming. So years ago, four of us went to Minnesota for a children's ministry conference. Um, and Scott was one of them. And on the way back, we had our, we were so filled with ideas and thoughts. And we were sitting in the airport in the, in the middle of a big hallway in the airport. And there were four chairs all facing each other. And I was seated directly across from Scott. I think there was maybe like a plant in the middle of us. And we're all, you know, talking about what we learned. And Scott's over there sharing like really valuable things, but he's talking in a voice. It's like this, like, uh, like a very, Scott's a very calm, very even killed guy. And he's talking very, very quiet. And I remember by the end of it, I was like, I really wanted to hear what he was saying, but you know, all these people going by and they're making announcements over the PA system. So by the end of it, I was not even hardly on my chair anymore. I was like, what, what does he say? That's the idea of how we're told to listen to wisdom. Wisdom is not always going to be grabbing you by the collar and shaking you and screaming in your face. It's going to be calmly proclaimed to you. Like right now, you're hearing wisdom right now, not because I'm so wise, but because our Bibles are open. Okay? The initiative is yours if you will listen to it or not. Can we come into church with all different mindsets, but all too often we come in expecting to be passive and receive. But what happens in here isn't only up to God, it's up to your receptiveness of it. Okay, so the invitation is lean forward, incline your ear, really incline your ear. It has the idea of stretching. That's how we listen to wisdom. We have to lean in toward it. Now, the voice of sexual temptation, on the other hand, leans toward us. We don't have to take initiative to hear and listen to the voice of sexual temptation. Excuse me. Now I need to explain why I'm jumping from where it says in verse three, the forbidden woman or the strange woman, your translation may say, to all sexual temptation. That word um, forbidden, it basically just means, it actually literally means strange, the strange woman, but not in the sense that she's weird, in the sense that she's other. She's a woman other than your wife, other than your spouse, other than what you have. So it's any temptation sexually that's other than what is yours. Okay, does that make sense? I'll take that as a yes. So you will, in regard to sexual temptation, you will either listen to wisdom or you will listen to the temptation, but you can't listen to both at the same time. 
Sexual uh, wisdom speaks to you in a way that you need to lean into, like Scott Gregg at the airport. Sexual temptation, on the other hand, speaks to you uh, like a bowl of ice cream speaks to you. It's sweet. It sounds good. It doesn't even have to say anything. It just has to be sitting there in your freezer. And you hear it, and you want it. It starts with your ear. Principle number two, it starts sweet but ends bitter. It starts sweet but ends bitter. Look at verses three through five again. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. Sheol is just, it basically means the place of death is where the dead people are uh, for our purposes. It starts sweet and it ends bitter. You know, I've been reading a book just for my own interest. um, And it's called Anti-Cancer. It's just about, it's not written from a Christian worldview. It's written from just a scientific worldview. And uh, this author's hypothesis is that sugar... If you eat a lot of sugar, that it creates an environment conducive to cancer. That sugar, because of its like inflammatory aspects of it, I'm not very sharp scientifically, so I'm not going to try to go into all that. But he thinks, and a lot of other scientists think, that sugar creates an environment in our bodies that's conducive to cancer. It doesn't like cause cancer, but it creates an environment conducive for it. Okay, so I've been reading about this, and I know this. I also know that I am borderline hypoglycemic, okay, which just means if my, you know, I, I can get, like, shaky and real wimpy if I don't eat frequently enough and keep my blood sugar level in the right ratio. And if I eat high-sugar foods, it'll go, it'll spike, and I feel great for, like, 30 seconds, and then for four hours, I feel like death. I know these things. But, man, that bowl of ice cream while you're eating it, is so good. While you're eating it, it tastes so sweet, so good. Okay, but afterwards, have you ever binged on something like ice cream or birthday cake or some sweet? Seemed like a good idea. Looked so good. It tasted so good during. But you remember the feeling afterward? Not so good. Okay, that's sort of the imagery of sexual temptation. It starts sweet. It looks like it's going to be good. Okay, that that other guy, that other gal that's not your spouse who seems so sympathetic and seems so warm and seems to really listen to you and get you, whereas your spouse just doesn't. Seems sweet. Seems good. I think I'll indulge in that flirtation. I think I'll indulge in uh, listening to that flattery. Sweet during. But afterwards, bitterness. You know, that girlfriends, boyfriends being together, you know, it seems good. We'll, we'll lay down while we watch this movie together. It, feel, it seems good to be close like that. It seems good to go a little further. And during it, it feels good. But after, bitterness. You know, on your computer late at night, seemingly no one would know. That link sounds good. It seems like it's going to be sweet. A good distraction from the stress. A good moment of relief from reality. I think I'll click on it. And it feels good during, like a big bowl of ice cream. 
but afterwards, bitterness. Now, I know all the statistics about sexual sin, especially pornography in our digital age. It's everywhere. We all carry around the capability to binge on the most grotesque pornography possible, just a click away all the time. Okay, it's prevalent. It's very common. So I feel confident to say that there are people in the room who struggle with pornography. I feel very confident. Okay, now, those among us who have struggled with this sin, have you ever felt good after? No, it's so bitter. That's what, when he says, bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword, wormwood was a bitter herb back then, and it's basically a... Um, uh, uh, fig- figures of speech that the original audience would have known to mean the bitterest of bitter, as bitter as possible, as sharp and cutting as possible. It's one commentator I read while I was preparing used the phrase short pleasure, long pain. And that's pretty accurate. Sexual temptation offers short pleasure, long pain. Short pleasure, long pain. The Puritans used the image of a, a fish, a hook, a fishing hook with bait on it. The bait looks good. You bite into it. There's a hook in there. It was momentary pleasure of the bait and then a lifetime of pain because of the hook. And he goes on, he elaborates in verses 7 through 14 about where this leads. I'm just going to read that to you again. But I'm not going to go into it deeply. He says, And now, sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, the the forbidden woman, the other, the sexual temptation apart from what you have. Do not go near the door of her house. Because here's what's going to happen. Lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength, and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life you groan, when your flesh and body are consumed. And you say, how I hated discipline, and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Back in verses 3 through 5. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But, so he concedes that, it starts sweet. But, in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword, as bitter as can be possible, as sharp and cutting as can be possible. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. It starts with the ear. It starts sweet, but ends bitter. And then the third principle I want to point out, it is a reckless driver. Sexual temptation is a reckless driver. I need to explain that one. It comes from verses 5 and 6, which say, Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. When we succumb to sexual temptation, we are giving over control 
to that temptation, to that temptress, to that adulterer, to that website, to that guy, to that girl, to that coworker, to whomever. We're given control over. One time I was driving, it was soon after I got my license, and I pulled up behind a couple of cars at a stop sign. It was, you know, like this is a road going two ways, and we were right here stopped. And the guy in the front sort of lurched out a little bit and kept lurching out right in front of a church van. And the church van slammed on the brakes, but it was too late. They couldn't swerve, so they ran right into the side of them. And so, you know, I I was right behind that guy. I got out. I didn't know what to do. You know, I was like 17. And um, the guy got out of this old beaten up car, and he was just clearly drunk. I hadn't been around a lot of drunk people, but you could just tell he was clearly drunk or under the influence of something. And he stumbled over to me out of his battered car and said, man, you got to give me a ride. I can't be here right now. I'm like, I'm not giving you a ride. Like, man, I can't be here right now. He's had some existing trouble with the law. He wanted a way out. And meanwhile, out of the church van, people are piling out. There had been a baby in the church van and the mother was just hysterical. It was crazy. And I had seen the guy. He, He had no clue what he was doing. Now, what if I had said, I'll tell you what, let's go for it. You drive, I'll ride with you. Let's get out of here together. (laughs) That would have been absurd. What a fool. But that's exactly what we do when we give in to sexual temptation. We say, yeah, you, you make the decisions for me. I think I heard something one time about this being foolish, but this seems pretty sweet. This seems like a good deal. I'll slide over. You take the wheel. You drive. Only to find out that her path is towards the place of death. She doesn't ponder the way of the path of life. You know, the temptress, the tempter, they're not thinking about what this is going to do, how this is going to devastate you and destroy you. They're not thinking about where they're going. Her ways wander, and she doesn't even know it. So it starts with the ear, it starts sweet, but ends bitter. And it's a reckless driver. Now, those are just three principles, but Proverbs has a wealth of these. I want to give you three practices based on these three principles. Okay, now, again, before I give you these, what we're doing here is we are trusting and following Jesus Christ. Okay, we are not here because we have the capability within ourselves to be perfect. We're here because we don't, and we need Jesus Christ for that. Okay, so we're here to be forgiven for these sins, not to be condemned for them. But in Christ, after you're forgiven and cleansed, you're promised that you can now walk in newness of life. Okay, so as Christians, we can live wisely now because we have a new heart. So these are principles to walk in newness of life based on what Christ accomplished for us. These aren't principles of ways to do better so that your conscience can feel better or ways to get God to forgive you or ways to get God to love you. Okay, does that make sense? I had to be careful about that. But these are some practices that we can adopt to live wisely in a world filled with sexual temptation. The first one, these are kind of no-brainers, but they're worth saying. Number one, listen to wisdom. Just listen to wisdom. Your battle with sexual temptation, whatever form it may come, is going to be decided right here. Not then, but how you listen now. Just be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding. 
that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. Memorize, write it down, post scriptures to help you remember what's true. Because when you're out there and the temptations start to besiege you, it can be difficult to remember what's true. And you can lose track of that voice, that still small voice, that quiet, persistent voice of wisdom. You know, let the temptation, whatever it is, and some of you struggle with ongoing sexual temptations, let it trigger you looking back and leaning in toward wisdom. Have this marked maybe. And so when the temptation strikes, you're, you're, you know, going to work and there's that coworker that's always speaking so sweetly to you and you know it's a temptation. Before you go in, meditate on this. Let this be the loudest voice, not his voice, not her voice. When you're going out on the date with your girlfriend or boyfriend and you know the temptations that will await, let this be the strongest voice, not seeing how far are they wanting to go tonight. When you're on the computer by yourself at night, get this posted right in front of your face so you can remember what's true. Listen to wisdom. Practice number two. Look past the lips. Look past the lips. Verses three through five again. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end... She is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. So if you only look at the lips and only hear the sweetness and don't just look slightly beyond to where that path is going to lead, you'll probably choose foolishly. But look, look past that. Look at where this path is going to lead. Now, I already told you that in the, in Christ, you, there is now therefore no more guilt, no more condemnation for those in Christ. But the consequences are real and lasting for our foolish, sinful mistakes, our foolish, sinful choices. So if you look beyond that particular temptation and see the potential terrible bitterness that will follow, generally that will follow. You will experience that stuff. It might be one momentary foolish choice that for the rest of your life could haunt you with consequences. Number three, learn to drive. And that comes again from verse six. The forbidden woman, the other sexual temptation, does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, she does not know it. You know, in regard to our sexual sin, we are not victims. We're perpetrators. Responsibility is ours. You know, we can't throw up our hands and say, well, I live in too tempting a world. Don't hand the keys over to the temptation. Don't follow her path. Follow your path, letting God's light shine on it and show you the way. You're responsible. Steer clear of that stuff. We can do that in Christ. We're not helpless, hopeless victims. We're promised grace sufficient for these things. We can walk in newness of life. So all of this has been... You know, like I said last week, sitting in the uh, the study with our wise God, and he's sitting in his armchair, and the fireplace is crackling, and he's talking to us as a wise and old father to his sons and daughters. And we've been sitting here in the study listening to him, and, and now we're going to leave and go out into the real world. And I pray that we will go out continually being attentive to this wisdom and inclining our ears toward it. Grandparents... 
pray for your families regarding this, especially your young men, your sons and your grandsons. Pray for your people about this. Try to instruct them when you, as you can. Young men, don't be fools. It's hard because you're young men. But remember, your, your sexual sin is not only sin, as bad as that is, it's also folly. Don't be an idiot. It's going to destroy you. Married folks, don't think you're beyond this. Like I said, we live in an extremely tempting world. None of us should feel as though we're beyond this. We need to all take this seriously or else why would it be so three chapters deep in Proverbs of it? Single folks, I think you especially face the brunt of this temptation. It's inescapable. But in Christ, we can live this way. We can live with wisdom ringing in our ears and not just the loud, over-sexualized temptations of the world. Sinners, those of you who have been or are neck deep in this, Go to Jesus Christ and find forgiveness and strength to move forward. Don't take this as three tips to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Go to Jesus Christ. Go to him humbly. Be forgiven. Be cleansed. Seek the strength to move forward. And walk in newness of life. Let's pray. Father, this is a a big subject that has roots connected to so many different aspects of our lives and so much heartache in so many different ways. Families riddled with the consequences of foolishness here. Hearts uh, just beaten up with the guilt and shame of our sins and foolishness here. I don't feel like this one sermon is adequate to cover, to address this, but Lord, let it at least point us in the right direction. Or may we live as wise Christians. May we not be taken in by the deceptions of sexual temptations. May we live in the freedom of Jesus Christ. And remember that we are dead to these things. And we are alive to you. And in light of all that, help us to live wisely. In Jesus' name, amen.